0: This sermon was first preached on the 13th of July, 2008, but at the time that I preached it at the sanctuary downtown, our uh, recording equipment wasn't working as we expected, and so now I'm re-recording it in my office, and we're doing that because this uh, sermon, my story and his story, is the middle sermon of a three-part sermon on... Um, The Word and Scripture. So, uh, I'll try to pretend that um, you're all there, okay? So, here we go. Last time I asked you to break into small groups and share the best thing that you ever read. You know, something that captured you, engaged you. Most of you shared uh, novels and stories. And then Nan Phillips said my husband's love letters. Last week we talked about the Bible as a love letter, and tonight we'll talk about how it's also a story. Last year I told you about a boy who lost his story. One morning during the Luftwaffe bombings in World War II, Leslie Weatherhead found this little boy sitting alone in the burned-out remains of some building. His clothes were soiled and torn, his face was covered with soot, save for the trail of tears that exposed his pink cheeks beneath. Weatherhead approached this little boy, bent down and asked, Son, where are your parents? They're dead, sir, he said. Weatherhead asked about his relatives. They're all dead, sir, the little boy said. Where's your home, asked Weatherhead, and the little boy pointed to a heap of rubble down the street, just debris, bombed-out remains, Then Weatherhead said, Son, tell me, who are you? And the boy replied, I ain't nobody, nothing. Sadly, in a way, the little boy was right, wasn't he? In a way. Because all of his stories had been destroyed. Mommy, daddy, favorite toys, pictures of vacations, promises, camp next summer, little rituals at the dinner table. Fairy tales at bedtime, he he had no past. He lost the seeds, which would bear a future. He had no story. He, He was orphaned. We have an entire society of orphans, for we've lost our story. Modernism has taught us that stories are lies and facts are truth. Facts like carbon, oxygen, nitrogen. Well, stories are made of facts, but facts without a story have no meaning. So we modern people have a million facts, but haven't a clue as to what any of them mean. Modernism teaches that matter is all that matters. There's no plot, no story, other than the stories that we make up. So modern parents scold their kids saying stuff like you're telling stories, as if that's a lie. We've come to believe that a story is a lie. Michael Mead pointed out that the word story comes from the concept storehouse. A story is a store or or storehouse. Things are stored in a storehouse. Persons are stored in a story. So if stories are lies, perhaps there are no persons. Just carbon, oxygen, nitrogen. Facts without meaning. You know, children love stories. My Kids used to always say, tell me about when I was born. So I'd say, well, Coleman, time of your birth was 427 a.m., November 2nd, 1994. You were born at Lilton Adventist Hospital, 7700 South Broadway, Lilton, Colorado, 80122. Phone number 303-730-8900. You can call this number to verify these facts. Well, if I said that to four-year-old Coleman, he'd just look at me like an orphan sitting in a bombed-out old building. He doesn't want the facts. He wants the story that gives the facts their meaning. Coleman, November 2nd was your mommy's birthday. And now it's your birthday. Because long ago, when mommy was just 18 years old and had just met Jesus, she prayed that she'd have four children by her 34th birthday. Coleman, when you were born, everyone wore party hats. There were two birthday cakes Two birthday cakes, buddy, because, Coleman, you are God's answer to mommy's prayer. That's what you are. We see that story tells Coleman who he is, and it's a seed pregnant with his future. If one day he loses his job and his wife leaves him saying, you ain't nobody nothing, well, the phone number of the hospital to verify the fact of his birth won't help very much. But the story... Two birthday cakes, and, and, and everyone wore party hats, and, and I was God's answer to mommy's prayer. Well, that could save his life. Stories tell us who we are. And stories tell us who another person is. Stories reveal people. Last week, I told you how I devoured Susan's love letters in college. Now, an objective observer might say, Wow, it must have really contained some important information. Well, not really. Love letters are very different than textbooks, and owners' manuals, dictionaries, and cookbooks. Normally, love letters contain a great deal of drivel and lots of stories, seemingly meaningless stories. What she wore, where she went, with her roommate, after school, etc., etc. I devoured them all. I'll quote one of those letters that I showed you last week. This, this is what it says. It seems so hard to believe ...that just a few days ago I was in your arms kissing you... ...and now I'm over 300 miles away. I love you so much. My dreams are all about you. I wore the same shirt I wore Friday night today so I could smell like you. Wow. Right, guard? I love the smell. It makes me think that you're close by. I love you more than ever. You see, that Susan Coleman wore the same shirt on Monday that she did on Friday... Well, that little story is objectively meaningless, huh? I mean, it was not even recorded in her files at Fort Lewis College. But that little story was absolutely critical to me. Why? Because it revealed a person. And I had a hunch that our persons might merge one day. Stories reveal persons. Her story might become my story. Two might become one. A communion of persons. Persons. Well, if someone said to me at CU, tell me who Susan is, I wouldn't tell them her social security number, or the date of her birth. I'd say, well, you know, she wore the same shirt on Monday that she did on Friday. See, I'd tell them stories. Hey, Luke, who's God? And Luke writes, and behold, there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. If someone asks you, who's God? What do you say? A- He is necessary beingness, uncreated creator, triune in nature, being of three persons and one substance, or be, well, there was this man, and he had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, give me my share of the inheritance, and well, that prodigal boy, he squandered his inheritance in a distant land, and when he came home hoping to get more stuff, his father saw him at a great distance, ran to him, covered him with kisses, Crying out, kill the fatted calf! My son, who was lost, is is now found. You know, both A and B are technically correct, aren't they? Well, I mean, I, I would suppose so. But but which is the word of truth? The first necessary being, this uncreated Creator, Triune in nature. That's that's the word of man. But the story about the father and the prodigal boys, that's the word of God. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus said, Have you been with me so long, and yet you don't know me? He who's seen me has seen the Father. Seen what? Man touching lepers, holding children, giving sight to the blind, good news to the poor, telling stories, parables. Jesus, he he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth, you see, isn't a formula, a law, a concept. It's a person and who is he? Well, read his story. He is the story, the gospel. Last week we preached on how the word of God is the gospel of our salvation. 1 Peter 1.25 The word of the Lord is the gospel which was preached to you. That is, that God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten Son. And all the promises of God find their yes in him, writes Paul. All of scriptures about Jesus, who is himself the word of God. Jesus is a love letter. Jesus, the love of God, come to us. And scripture is a love letter. Love letters are full of stories, full of stories, and even more. A stack of love letters tied with a ribbon makes the greatest of all stories, like this. See this all? Susan's love letters in a stack tied with a ribbon. If you were to read this stack of letters, you'd see a story emerge. The story of Susan's love for me, how she revealed her heart and captured mine. We see the Bible as a stack of letters that comprises the greatest of all stories, the story of God's love for you, how he reveals his heart and captures yours. It's easy for me to get all sentimental about this stack of letters because I know the end. But it was brutally hard for me to live to live through this stack of letters, through these letters, some letters happy, some despairing, some angry, some frightening. The Bible's a stack of letters. Some angry, some profoundly sad, some sappy, even some erotic. Let my beloved climb to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Song of Solomon, 4.16. I think that'd be a great verse for my wife to memorize, but she doesn't always agree Well, some letters are like that. Some letters are poetic. Some letters demanding. Thou shalt have no other god before me. Some historical, and they nailed them to a tree, and the tomb was empty. Some prophetic, and I saw the new Jerusalem coming down, adorned as a bride for her bridegroom. All these different letters bound together in the greatest story. All these letters written in different times, and different places, written through different people, in different cultures, with different languages, a zillion facts, and yet one plot, one story. The story of the Father redeeming his lost children. The story of the Bridegroom, Jesus, redeeming his unfaithful bride. The story of the Spirit filling his temple of flesh. It's the story of God and us. In the Old Testament or Covenant, we read the story of our failure. The law reveals our failure. In the New Testament or covenant, we read the story of God's success. God comes and Jesus dies for our failures and gives us his life. Jesus Christ and him crucified is the new covenant. That's also called the eternal covenant. In other words, Jesus Christ and him crucified was the plan all along. The Bible is his story, the story of God's love. How God reveals his heart and wins ours. It definitely contains rules, commandments, laws, but they're all contained in a story, God's story. If you only trust the laws, you trust yourself, and then your are religious and dead. But if you trust the story, you trust the author, and you're saved by grace through faith. The Bible is his story, but get this, his story is his story, history, history. Because Jesus is the meaning of all things, the logos, the plot. He's the word through whom, through which all things are created, including all of space and time. So the Bible is not only the greatest story ever told, in a very real sense, it's the only story ever told. All stories are a shadow of this story, and in fact, a part of this story. It's like J.R.R. Tolkien said, you cannot keep the gospel out of stories. Even tragedies, you know, that they're a longing for gospel, for good news. His story is the only real story, and his story is history. The Bible contains several plot summaries, and those plots and summaries, when you take a look at them, you, well, you realize they contain all of space and time. Here are just a few, Colossians 1, 18 through 19. You see, that's a, that's a plot summary. Did you get that? Plot summary to the story, his story and history, all of time, beginning to end. Here's another, Ephesians 1, 9 through 10. For he has made known to us in all wisdom and insight the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, beginning to end, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, Romans 11.32, this is the summation of Paul's theology in Romans, the summation of his discussion on vessels of wrath and predestination in Israel and all that stuff. He writes, For God has consigned all men to disobedience, that he may have mercy upon all. Revelation 21, 5-6. And he who sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Beginning to end. That's the plot. That's the word, Jesus. And did you notice he said, The end. Not an End. As if there are two ends, two perfections, two purposes of God. No, there's one plot, one story, one end. So if you come to an end and it's not Jesus, well, good news, it's not the end. Well, I've discovered very painfully that many folks get really agitated by those verses, the plot summaries. Maybe that's because they can't get those verses to fit inside some other verses, and maybe even more, they can't get that story to fit inside their own story. However, if those verses are the plot summary beginning to end, all other stories must fit into this story. I think the problem is we want to write our own story. We want our will to trump God's will. And yet his will is reality. So to walk out of his story and to write your own story is to walk into nowhere, nothing and nobody, the abyss. It's to walk into sin, death, Hades, and hell. It's to be lost, Apollumi. Yet the plot came to seek and to save the lost. And that's the story, the story. The Bible reveals that everything is the story of Jesus, the very heart of God, and he is profoundly good. He's the plot, the word, the story. Madeleine L'Engle writes, it is one of the greatest triumphs of Lucifer that he has managed to make Christians, Christians believe that a story is a lie. Modern secular man believes a story is a lie. So ultimately, there is no story unless we write it. But what's really tragic in my mind is that modern American Christians are not all that much different. We've stopped believing in the story that reveals the person who saves we believe in principles and programs, psychology, sociologies, ideologies, law, and so we come to church to get application points and things we can do to make our life work and to help us write our own story. We come to church to write our, our own story rather than to hear the story and commune with the person who saves. And then for us, scripture is no longer the great story. It becomes a great cookbook. For whatever soup we happen to be making. And yet whatever soup we make is death. It's nobody nothing and it can't save us. It's really nothing new. Throughout history, religious people have ignored the plot and cut up the story to use the pieces to write their own story. They've ignored scripture in order to use scriptures to justify every manner of evil. Gossip, slander, murder, genocide, rape, apartheid, slavery, crusades, inquisitions. We cut up the story of love to justify our hatred. Just as the Pharisees cut up Jesus, the word. Just as Satan used scriptures to tempt Jesus. Just as the Pharisees used scriptures to crucify Jesus, the plot, the story. They cut up the story because they didn't like the plot. They cut up the story to write their own story. We did it with the living word and we do it with the written word. Well, the Bible, you see, isn't just a collection of deep thoughts, a book of virtues that we can cut up. The Bible isn't a cookbook for whatever soup you'd like to make. It's the story of God making soup. And check it out. You're an ingredient. A lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do? You see, the law is all about what we must do, what we do. The lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer was making himself some salvation soup. And what did Jesus tell him? A story. He was always telling stories. He is a story. Grace is a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers, lost, Apollumi. And a Samaritan bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, saved him. Jesus told the lawyer the story. That is, you can't make salvation soup, you're lost, but God is making soup. Listen to the story and behold you're an ingredient, but don't listen to the story and you're lost. Matthew writes, Jesus spoke nothing to the crowd without a parable, a story. They had to surrender to the story to get the meaning. The meaning is a person. Stories store persons. So read your Bible as a story. When you read a good story, you picture the story, you imagine the story, you you enter the story. Moreover, the dogs lick Lazarus' sores. So I think I think you're supposed to picture that. Why does it say that? I think you're supposed to picture that. When when they throw the harlot at Jesus' feet, what does that scripture smell like? What does it look like, feel like? Dust, heat, sweat, whimpers, screams? Religious folks holding stones and a prostitute lying in the dirt. And what's it feel like when this man, Jesus, the great rabbi says, neither do I condemn you. You see, that does more than the theological concept propitiation, doesn't it? I mean, you don't just learn information. You experience persons. You don't just comprehend the story. The story comprehends you. When you read a good story, you don't think, how can I apply this? How can I, how can I use this? Actually, you don't think about yourself at all. You lose yourself. And then you find yourself in the story. And then find the story in you. You ingest the plot and it changes you. You know, watching James Bond movies, I found myself in the story and then find the story in me. In other words, like I drive fast. I don't even have to think about it. I just do it. I'm, I'm in the story and the story is in me. After reading the story of love and preaching that story, sometimes I I actually love. I, mean, I don't have to think about it. I, I do. Well, you lose yourself in a story, and when you have faith that the plot is, or you lose yourself in a story when you have faith that the plot is good. That's when you lose yourself in the story. Every story has a plot, and every event in that that story then takes on meaning because of that plot. That's the way stories work. If something didn't have meaning to the plot, the author wouldn't have put it in the story. So, in a good story, every event is transformed by the plot through faith. That's why you pay attention to every event in a story. And that's why uh, you don't panic at every event in a story. I mean, James Bond is hanging by his fingernails from the edge of a cliff while helicopters shoot grenades at him. And no one stands up screaming, My God, James Bond is going to die! No one cowers in fear. No one panics. Instead, what? We lean forward in hope. For we all have faith in the plot. In a Bond movie, all things work together for the glory of James Bond. Well, you see, the Bible is a story, and everything then is pregnant with plot, the plot. Everything works together for God's glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the story that God is telling, and it's a good story. Well, imagine if your life was a good story that God is telling. Not only would it turn out okay in the end, but every experience would be transformed by the plot, right? Each moment, you wouldn't cower in fear, but you'd lean forward in faith and hope. I mean, they might launch grenades at you. Your friends might betray you. You'd have pain, but you'd lean forward in faith and hope. For now, hey, maybe the story's getting good. Well, the Bible is the good story. But is it all about you? Is his story all about you? Is the plot all about you? Well, no. No. Unless the plot has made himself all about you. Unless the plot is in you. Unless Jesus, the plot, came to commune with you and make his home in you like you were his body or something, for then his story would be your story and your story would be his story and it would all be about you by grace. All things would work together for good with you by grace. You see, when we have faith, we don't just seem to lose ourselves and find ourselves in his story. We actually do lose ourselves and find ourselves in him. Because he has placed himself in us. You see, every experience in your story is transformed through faith in him, the plot. The plot changes everything and makes all things new. I mean, little kids know this. That's why they're always pretending that they're in in a story or something, playing that they're, you know, some hero or part of some great adventure. The plot changes everything. But without a plot, nobody nothing. Well, imagine if this was your experience, okay? Imagine if this was your experience and you did not know the plot. Well, frankly, I wouldn't eat at the same bale of hay with him. No, I. Sure, dearie. I should say. Right. Oh. That's just how I feel about Here him. he comes now. Hmm. Pretend you don't see him. Shh. Now, if that was your experience and you didn't know the plot, you'd think, I'm a worthless elephant with big ears. I'm nobody, nothing. But because we know the plot, we want to yell out, Dumbo, have faith and courage. You're the most famous elephant in all the world. Everybody will see you. And get this, your shame will become your glory. Those ears are not a curse. They're a blessing, Dumbo. Now imagine if this was your experience, okay? Your experience and you did not know the plot. Oh, why, you little thief! They're my bee! Give them hair! Oh, no! Oh, and look, that's my sash wearing my sassy pants! Oh God, little thief! Please, please! Oh, my it. My oh you little thief! Take these! Take kitchen Oh, you are straight for the little... Oh, ghost. Ghost. That's quite enough. Hurry along now, both of you. I won't have you upsetting yourselves. Good night. Well, if that was your experience and you didn't know the plot, you'd be thinking, I'm just a a worthless orphan. I'm a peasant. I'm nobody, nothing. But because we know the plot, we want to preach gospel, right? That's what it is. We want to proclaim gospel. Cinderella, don't despair. Your prince will find you. Your prince will come and your love story will be told to generations and generations and little girls around the world will pretend that they're you. See, we could do this with just about any clip and well with any clip in 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 any story. And now you may say, well, yeah, okay, but I'm not Dumbo, I'm not Cinderella. Well I wouldn't be so sure. For every story is his story, and his story is in you. Now imagine if this was your experience and you did not know the plot. Now, let me ask you Do you ever feel betrayed? Do you ever feel forsaken? Do you ever feel guilty, lost, and ashamed? Do you know that Jesus came to wear your shirt, your skin, your flesh? your shame to smell like you. You know, on that cross, he bore the sin and the sorrow of this world. He bore your insecurity, your shame, your failure, your nobody-nothing. He bore your nobody-nothing, which makes you somebody-something. But until you believe that, you're trapped in nobody-nothing. Nothing. But when you believe, when you have faith in the plot, you find that your story, past, present, and future, your story has become his story, It's somehow nailed to that cross with him. It's there in that cross with him. This is the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, making peace by the blood of of his cross. That story becomes your story and your story becomes gospel. So, Dumbo, good news, your shame becomes your glory. Cinderella, bride of Christ, your loneliness becomes the deepest of all communions. Believer, your sin reveals God's grace. Your death becomes his life and your life. Joined with him in a death like his, you will surely be joined with him in a resurrection like his. You die with him and you rise with him. So not only is every event in your story transformed by his story, the two of you have a shared story. And my friend, that's a love story, the best story. Stories store persons. So a communion of stories is a communion of persons. And lovers, they always share stories. To have and to hold, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow, as long as we both shall live. Paul writes that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's a love story. And now I know that's a bit much, more than we can probably take in now. So I hope that you can at least remember this much. Read your Bible in faith, for then you'll lose yourself in the story and find the story alive in you. You know, that's the way the Jews were to read God's story, God's word. They didn't only read or remember the Passover for instance. They smelled it, touched it, they ate it. Roast lamb, bitter herbs, and blood-red wine. They didn't just read it, they lived it. Several years ago, Fred Craddock was touring in Israel in the hands of a Jewish guide named Jonah, going from Tel Aviv to to Jerusalem. Uh, This particular day, uh, Jonah said, "Um, Can I take you the long way? Professor Craddock said, "Well, sure, Jonah." And so Jonah took him down this little old road, pulled to the side, and said, uh, "Professor Craddock, I, I want to show you something and tell you a story." He said, "Okay, go ahead." He said, "Well, see that see that hill over there? Yeah, I see it. See those trees? Yeah. Well, there's a road at the at the base of that hill. You can't see it now." But but it's there, okay? At the base of the hill, um, behind those those trees, and and you see, they thought they thought that we were coming around that road, so they got up in those trees, fixing to ambush us. But we caught wind of it, came round the other way over the top of the hill, and we just we killed every one of those sons of beepity beepity beep. and and, and, and Fred stopped him and said, Jonah, um. Wow, was, was that in the War of 48 or 67? And Jonah said, well, That was the Maccabean War. Now, the Maccabean War was in the second century BC. And so Fred said, Why, Jonah, you're telling that story like you were there. And with a level gaze, Jonah looked back at Fred and said, I was. Were you there when the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life? Were you there in the still black night so as not to be seen, to hear Jesus whisper, Nicodemus, you must be born again? Were you there when the nails... Tore out his flesh and he cried, Father, forgive them. And the sky grew dark and the earth shook. And were you there when the women danced in front of an empty tomb? Were you there when John heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Were you there? When the Passover Lamb of God took bread and broke it, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And were you there when in the same way he took the cup and said, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. See, he calls you to this table. And if you come, this is what you're doing. You're surrendering your story to his story. You're ingesting the plot. And so we invite you to tear off a piece of the bread. Dip it in the cup. Cups with the ribbons. A wine, the cups without the ribbons. Our juice. Ingest the plot and worship. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when he rose up from the grave? For you see, his story has become your story. So what do you feel at the end of a really good story? Good? How about joy, maybe? Um, What do you feel after a great victory, the end of a great game and you won? Joy? Maybe happiness? Victory? Well, Jesus, the end, because that's what he said he is. He's the beginning and the end. He said he came that my joy might be in you. Let the plot transform all your story, no matter how scary, no matter how frightening, no matter how fearful the page may be that you happen to be on. All right, next week we'll talk um, more about reading Scripture. Of course, every sermon is about the plot, who is Jesus, but we'll also talk about reading Scripture and kind of continue on with this. If you've never read the Bible before, Grab somebody and ask them questions about it. A lot of people in here have, uh, but we enc- I'd encourage you to start with one of the Gospels. That's the story of Jesus, and if he's the plot, and if you start with him, that'll help you see him in all the other places. There are a whole bunch of different versions. Uh, we'll talk at translations, um, and it's all true. Um, so if you get to places where it's just really confusing, well, hang in there because you met the plot. You ingested the plot. It's good. But it's an incredible story, and uh, so the Savior He shows up in places where we most need saving, and those are scary places. So uh, anyway, may you believe the gospel, and uh, may uh, you lose yourself in the story, and then you find yourself yourself the story. I gotta quit in you. Okay, so here's Francis, and she has. Uh, okay.